Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Vision, in which we look at visions in the Bible in order to discern God's vision for different areas of our lives. Here is Pastor Nick. Would you please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, book of Isaiah in your Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet, chapter 6. Book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us. We want to be those, Lord, who not only receive it, but respond to you in the appropriate and right ways. So, Lord, we ask that you would minister to our hearts, and Lord, help us that we would have the right response today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you a question. Like, what, is it, what does it really mean to worship? What does it mean to worship someone or something? What is worship? It's a pretty important question. And, and you know, sometimes colloquially or like in pop culture, we'll use this, this word worship. We'll say for somebody that we really admire, we might say that we worship the ground that they walk on. Or we might say about somebody else, oh, that person worships success. Or somebody who's really into their kids, we might say that they worship their kids. And of course, in church, we use the word worship a lot, right? That's like the main place where we use the word worship. But what does it mean? It's pretty important that we define what it means because look at what it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Okay, but what does that look like? What does it mean to worship God acceptably? What does acceptable worship look like? How do we know if we're doing it or not? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today as we continue a series we began last week. It's just a short three-week series that we're doing here at the beginning of the new year on the topic of vision. Now, let me explain what, what we mean by vision. You know, sometimes that word vision, it, it seems like, what does that even really mean? Well, let's define it like this. It can be most simply and easily defined as a desired outcome. That's what vision is. It's a desired outcome for the future. Now, listen, we all have things in our lives that we desire to see happen. But the big question for us to ask here at the beginning of the year is, what is God's vision for our lives? What is God's desired outcome for your life? And how does he want you to get there. So here at Whitefields, we have three statements that we use to describe what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and who we aspire to be as a church. And here are those three statements. We say, as a church at Whitefields, we seek to be receptive to the Word of God, responsive in worship, and redemptive in the world. Well, last week, we looked at the first of those three statements and, and why it matters for us to be receptive to the Word of God and what that looks like. Well, today, we're going to look at our second statement there, and we're going to talk about what it means and what it looks like for us to be responsive in worship and why that's so important. So the title of today's message is A Vision for Surrender. A Vision for Surrender. And here's what we're going to see in our study today. This is our takeaway truth, the sentence I give you every week that I want you to write down in your notes. I want you to remember it and take it with you as you go. And here's the sentence. Worship is what we do in response to seeing who God is. And the essence of worship is surrender. Worship is what we do in response to seeing who God is. And the essence of worship is surrender. Let's take that sentence and let's break it down as we study our text today. And let's start with the first part. Worship is what we do in response to seeing who God is. 
The, the book of Isaiah begins with a vision that God gave to the prophet Isaiah. It tells us that in chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Isaiah. It says this, This is the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, when he, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. We're told there in chapter 1 of Isaiah, uh, of the book of Isaiah, that at the time that Isaiah had this vision and gave this prophecy, the people of Judah were caught up in a whole bunch of gnarly, nasty stuff, right? Bad stuff that they shouldn't have been involved in. Destructive, you know, bad, sinful stuff. And, and specifically, he lays out what those are. He tells us there in chapter 1, he describes, they're caught up in immorality, in immoral behavior. That, that was one of the things that they were doing in Judah at this time. Another thing they were doing, they were caught up in idolatry, literally worshiping other gods and false gods, things other than the Lord. They were also caught up in materialism. They were obsessed with and, and living for just getting more and more material things. And in this vision, God speaks to Isaiah and he says, here is what I am going to do if the people continue doing these things, if they don't repent of these things, if they don't stop doing them, if they don't turn away from these things and turn back to me, here's what I'm going to do. If they continue in this way they're going, I am going to remove my hand of protection from, from them, and I'm going to allow them to experience a time of great difficulty. But God also told them what his purpose would be in allowing this difficulty to come upon them. He says that the purpose in allowing these difficulties is not because I hate them. It's not because I just want to get rid of them and punish them. No, no, no. The purpose of this is to wake them up. It is to get them to, to think and turn back to me and see that these things they're doing, they're, they're bad, they're wrong, they're destroying them, and get them to stop doing these terrible, destructive things and turn back to me. And God promises there. He says, I promise that no matter what happens, I will never forsake these people. And the only motive I have in doing this is love and concern for them and the, and the well-being of their souls. And so in the first uh, chapter of the book, God uses this phrase. He says to the people, Come now, let us reason together. Come now, let us reason together. You see what that's the language of? That's the language of persuasion. He's saying, let's have a discussion. I want to persuade you to stop doing these destructive, harmful things you're doing. And I want you to turn back to me so you can experience blessing and peace and joy. So in the first five chapters of the book, God gives, through Isaiah, a series of warnings, and they're called woes. Maybe you, you've read this word in the Bible sometimes. Jesus himself even said it. Many of the prophets said it. They say, woe to you, to a particular people or, or thing. And what a woe is, a woe is a warning of coming judgment. So Isaiah says to these people, he says, Woe to you who do evil. And he says to these other people, Woe to you who call evil good and good evil. Woe to you. In other words, watch out. This is a warning. If you don't change your ways, then, then watch out because God isn't going to turn a blind eye to these things. God sees all of this and he's going to deal with it. But here's the thing. After those first five chapters, then something else happens at the beginning of chapter 6. And here's what it is. Isaiah has another vision. And in this vision in chapter 6, Isaiah sees something, experiences something that is so profound that it will change his life 
forever after this. He'll never be the same. I wonder if you've ever had a moment in your life, an experience that was that weighty, that profound, that significant, that you were never the same again. It changed your life and set your life on a whole new course and direction. That's what this vision was like for Isaiah. So what was it? Well, before Isaiah tells us what he saw in the vision, he first tells us when he saw it. And that's really important. We can't just skip over that. We have to understand the context into which this vision came. Okay, so when did Isaiah see this vision? He says there in chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now let's pause right there. That is significant. It's really easy to just read past that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And get on to the next part. But no, you have to stop here. Here's why. We read in, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Is where we read about King Uzziah, 2 Chronicles 26. And there in 2 Chronicles 26, we read that King Uzziah had a long and distinguished reign. In fact, Uzziah reigned for longer than almost any other king of either Judah or, uh, or Israel. He, he reigned from the time he was 16 years old, and he reigned for 52 years. Think about what that means. That means that most of the people who were alive when Uzziah died then they had never experienced in their entire life anybody else being king. Because, you know, for 52 years he reigned. And overall, Uzziah was a good king. We're told in both 2 Chronicles 26 and in 2 Kings chapter 15 that Uzziah sought the Lord and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And because of that, God made him prosper. So he was a good king and a godly man. He was also a great military leader. And under the reign of King Uzziah, Judah experienced stability, prosperity, security, all of these great things. So to say, in the year that King Uzziah died, that's really significant. Understand, that's to say a lot. That tells us that with the death of a person like Uzziah, that means that this was a time of transition, a time of uncertainty. It was a time of political instability. This was a time when people would have been worried and concerned about the future. And guys, doesn't that sound a lot like the times that we're living in right now here in January of 2021, don't you think? Political instability, a national crisis, a time of great uncertainty regarding the future, a time when people are worried and concerned at that time, people would have been asking the question that we might be asking today ourselves. The question that we often ask when difficulties and troubles and uncertainty arises, we ask the question, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? And to make things even more confusing and difficult is the way in which Uzziah died. You can read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. At the end of the chapter, here's what we read. Uzziah died because of a moral failure that he committed. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. We have implemented procedures to ensure your safety as we gather for worship and studying God's Word. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person, at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. 
He died because of a moral failure that he committed. And now think about that. How, how would that feel? How do you process that if you're somebody like Isaiah, if you're somebody like the people of Judah who look up to this man as a, as a godly person and a good man, as someone who seeks the Lord and does what the Lord says, and then he dies in infamy. He dies in sin. He dies because of a moral failure on his own part. It would have been very hard to process, very confusing, very disappointing, as it is when our heroes fall. And people would have been asking the question all the more in this case. Where is God in the midst of all of this? Where is God? Maybe that's you right now. You're asking that question with the pandemic this week, just kind of reaching record levels, with everything going on in Washington, D.C., with the things maybe going on in your life personally. Where is God in all of this? But look at what Isaiah saw, what God showed him in this vision there in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Where was God in the midst of the confusion, the disappointment, the difficulty, the uncertainty? Where was God? God was on his throne. He was where he had been all the time. Uzziah was no longer on the throne of Judah, but God was still on his throne in heaven, ruling over everything here on earth. Now, if you look at the different visions that people have in the Bible, when, they, when God gives them a vision of heaven, you look at uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Daniel and the Apostle John, how they have visions of heaven. What they see in these visions is they see a throne. There is a throne in heaven, and the Lord sits upon it as the sovereign ruler of the universe. Guys, God doesn't sit on a stool or in a, a chair. He doesn't sit in a, a, a recliner like somebody who needs to relax after a, a hard day of work. Now, listen, anybody can sit in a chair. Only a sovereign sits on a throne. A judge sits on a throne. Those with authority and dominion, they sit on thrones. And friends, there is a throne in heaven. And that means that there is a seat of authority and power, which all of the universe and every person, including us, has to answer to. Isaiah was discouraged about what was going on in his country. Maybe you are today as well. Maybe you can relate to that. But God wanted Isaiah to see this. That in spite of what was going on in his country, in spite of what was happening down on earth, he was still on his throne. And Isaiah could rest in the knowledge of that. Maybe you need to be reminded of that today. Where is God in the midst of everything that's going on in the world right now? You know where he is? He is on his throne. He is ruling. He is sovereign. He is in control. And he is working out his plans. And because that's true, you can have absolute confidence as you face this life and the circumstances and the situations that it brings. Not only was God on his throne, but look, it says that he was high and lifted up. He was in an exalted position above every angel, above every creature, above everything and everyone. God was exalted. He was high and lifted up, and his greatness was on display by the fact that it says the train of his robe filled the temple. Now listen, I don't own any clothes that have a long train that drags behind them. I noticed as you were walking in today, I didn't see anybody walking in with a long train behind your clothes, especially on a, a snowy, muddy day like today. First of all, because 
probably none of us are, are all that important. But the other reason is because it's just highly impractical, isn't it, right? Like you're not going to go like work in a construction site with a, with a long train dragging behind your clothes. Really, the only place in which we see trains on, on people's clothes in our modern society is in weddings, right? So a bride might have a, a wedding dress with a long train that drags 10, 15, maybe 20 feet behind her, and there'll be two or three people who are dedicated. Their entire job at the wedding is to tend to the, the bride's train of her dress. And you know what that means? If you have a train on your clothes, you know what it means? You know what it signifies? It means that you are a person of special attention. You are the object of special attention. The bride's not out there doing work in that dress, right? With a long train on it. She's not going to go mow the lawn in that dress. She's not going to chop wood or go to the construction site. You wouldn't wear a dress like that to, to do any kind of laborious work. No, wearing a long train like that, it signifies that you are the person of special attention. Other people serve you. You're a person of honor and dignity. And so that's what this says about God. He's so great. Look at how big his robe is. It fills the entire temple. And it says in verse 2, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With, with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And these are angels who are around the throne of God. The word seraphim literally means burning ones. And they have six wings. Notice this, though. With their six wings, four of their six wings are used for what? To cover their face and to cover their feet. That's a sign of humility and reverence. They cover their eyes as if to say, God is so glorious, so majestic that I can't even look upon him. I have to cover my face. But you know what's interesting? The Bible says that when we go to heaven, it says that we will look upon the Lord with unveiled eyes. Do you know what that means? Think about that. Angels can't even do that. The angels cover their eyes, even though they're in the presence of the Lord. But one day, you and I will get to do something in heaven that even the angels can't do. We will look upon the Lord with unveiled eyes and see his glory. Well, in verse 3, it says that one angel called to the other angel and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. In Hebrew, like in other ancient languages, repetition signifies intensity. In other words, where we would say holy, holier, holiest, they say holy, 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 right? In other words, the one angel is saying to the other, the Lord, he is the holiest of all. No one compares to him. The other angel says back in response, yes, he's the holiest of all. They're speaking to each other about the Lord in the presence of God. They're declaring God's glorious nature to each other in the presence of the Lord, over and over again. And as these angels are praising God, look at what happens in verse 4. It says, The foundations of the thresholds shook, and the house was filled with smoke. Now understand, guys, this isn't a, you know, a house made of, of timber, of two-by-fours and plywood like the houses we live in. This is a temple made of humongous giant stones. And it says that the power of these voices was so great that it caused this stone temple to shake at the voice. And notice, whose voice is it? Is it the voice of the Lord? No. It's the voice of the seraph and the angels praising the Lord. That's what causes the, the house to shake. Now, doesn't that challenge you? Doesn't it make you want to say, I, I want to praise the Lord maybe more powerfully than I do? You know, I wonder if, if my praise could even move a feather 
right? And these guys, they're praising us, shaking the house. Imagine if our praises in this place were so powerful that they shook this building. And here's what's crazy. You know what? These angels, they're praising the Lord, but you know what? You and me, we have more to be thankful for than these angels ever will be. We have more to praise God for than these angels ever could. You know why? God has done more for you than he has done for any of these angels. God didn't send his son. God didn't come to the world. Jesus didn't go to the cross to redeem angels. He came and did all these things for you. You have even more reason to be thankful. You have even more reason to praise the Lord than these angels do or ever will. But the reason these angels praise God in the way that they do is because they can clearly see who he is. It's clear to them who God is. And because they can see him, they cannot help but praise him powerfully and continually. And that's the first part of our sentence for this week, our takeaway truth, which is this. Worship is what we do in response to seeing who God is. It's what we do in response to seeing who God is. Listen, how do we see who God is? How do we, in 2021, how do we see God? The Bible literally says no one has ever seen God properly or physically. So how do we see God? Well, there are two ways in which we see God. We see God in his word is both ways. But we see him, number one, in his written word, in his revelation, like we talked about last week, of himself, in his word, the Bible. That's God's revelation, his written word of himself. And we see God also through the incarnate word of God, the embodied word of God, Jesus, the word of God in flesh, right, with feet on, walking around on our, on our earth. It says this, no one has ever seen God, but Jesus, the word of God, has made him known. You see, not only is the Bible called the word of God, but in the Bible, Jesus is also called the Word of God. Why? Well, what does that mean? God's Word is God's revelation, unveiling. It's His revelation of Himself to us. So if you want to see who God is, if you want to know who God is, if you want to see what God has done, the way to do it is, is twofold. Studying the Scriptures and becoming a student of Jesus. When you open up your Bible, when we open up our Bibles here, our goal, the objective, the, the reason we do it, what we're aiming for is not to just increase our head knowledge and memorize more facts, right? So we can win at Bible trivia or know more things than other people know. No, the goal, the aim of reading the Bible is to see God so that we can then respond appropriately. In other words, worship is not a means to an end. Worship is the end in itself. Worship is not a pathway that leads you somewhere. Uh, rather, other things are the pathway that leads you to worship. Worship is the destination, not the pathway. In other words, reading the Bible, for example, is a means to an end. Or studying the scriptures is meant to lead us somewhere, and the somewhere it leads us to is worship. Worship, in other words, is the destination. Notice that the way these angels are worshiping is by calling out to each other. They're in the presence of God, but they're speaking to each other and they're telling each other about God's glory. Listen, this is an important aspect of worshiping God together with other believers. As we sing these songs, as we speak these truths, it's not only that we're speaking them, it's that we're hearing other people's voices say them. 
In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we're told this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Listen, an important part of worshiping together, and why, by the way, we emphasize here at Whitefields that if you can, and we can do so safely and responsibly, we want to gather in person. Right? Here's why. Because as we do it, we're hearing each other's voices declaring the greatness of God. And that encourages our souls. It encourages us to also worship Him. It's also a reason why we do community groups. We want you to have a place where you can meet with other believers and speak to each other and hear each other talking about God's glory and His goodness and His grace. But you know what? Worship is not only singing songs. But in the Bible... We see throughout history that people have worshipped God in song and with music and with singing. When the, when the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea, in the book of Exodus there, when God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea and set them free, what did they do? They wrote a song. And they taught that song to everybody. And then they performed the song and they all sang it together. Right? They memorized the song. They learned the song, set it to music. There were tambourines. There was celebration. And why did they do that? Why did they set it to music? Why? Because music is a delivery system for messages. That's what it is. It's a delivery system for a message. And think about it. It helped the people remember the words. And it helped those words not just get in their minds, but get in their hearts for them to feel it. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, Visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.